Go Third Thessalonians. All right, just checking, uh, making sure you guys you've read, uh, you've read your, you guys are there. All right, so no Third Thessalonians. Uh, once we get through the second one, we'll be we'll have it covered. But um, grateful for all the doctrines, for all the things to study, all the uh, great applications, things that we've got uh, for our life. As we've been starting here, uh, Paul is writing in this chapter. He's uh, thankful for some things, and he we dealt with the past couple of weeks. He's thankful for. Um, just their, their heart, for their, their, them being a church, them being believers. Verse 3, he said, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope, and, and, and our Lord Jesus Christ, and the sight of God, and our Father. So there's two real sections in chapter 1. He's got his remembering, which is one verse. He's remembering these things uh, in prayer and, and thankful for these things as he remembers them of what they've done, who they are in Christ, the way in which they've sought to, to please the Lord. And then now we're going to get into verse 4 through 10. We're, let's read that uh, passage. And today our focus will just be verse 4 today. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, uh, for you, uh, or, excuse me. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So there's a whole lot here that he's knowing and remembering and, and, and thankful for these things. And we're going to look at, first of all, verse 4 today, they're knowing. Uh, he, he's knowing some things and is assured of some things about this church. Now, there are some things that should be known about the church of God, and it certainly uh, should be good things. It should be known that who we are, we go back to verse 3, it should be known that we have a work of faith, a labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, and the sight of God and our Father. But now he gets into this knowing that, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. And now let's look here first of all. Knowing, this is a, a knowledge, a continual knowledge. It's something that he's assured of. This is something that he is convinced of. And now we get into brethren, beloved. I want to look at that for just a moment. This idea of brethren, beloved here is this sort of idea of this membership. This is a, a beloved term, a, a, an endearing term uh, to call the church of God here. Brethren, brothers, right? Beloved, as loved. Uh, so we see that these are brothers and sisters in Christ, in the Lord. They are those that Paul knows personally. He was there at the founding of the church, uh, as well as we had seen in verse number one, Paul, uh, Silas, and Timothy. They're at the founding of this church. They know these people. They're grateful for these people, and they're thankful even more so for the work that God is doing through these people because it's impacting, as we get into verses 8, 9, and 10, it's impacting the whole region around them. What, oh man, I mean, just think about that. One church that is making a difference in a, an entire region. This is the reason why churches should have missionaries come and should support missionaries because while we might not be the ones to go to Honduras, we're able to send someone to go for us. Right? We're able to support someone who is going. We're able to support and have a reach. Um, and that's what we desire. Not so that our name would be known. Not so Victory Way Baptist's name would be known. But so that Christ's name would be known. Here, uh, this phrase, brethren beloved, 
Uh, one commentator writes, uh, the word brothers, verse 1 through 4, uh, is used by Paul in the ecclesiastical sense to designate believers regardless of gender. It indicates that the church is a household. And like family members, the brothers and sisters of the ecclesia or ecclesia are bound together intimately by a common faith and calling. Church membership is incredibly important. It is like family and as it should be. Now think about this. Do you like all of your family? I don't either. All right, you can answer honest. That's okay. But guess what? Do you love your family? Yes, and you absolutely should. Here's the idea. We should certainly want and desire to get along with our family, but what ties your family together, right? Let's think about blood family first of all. What ties your blood family together? Blood, right? You've been born into the same family, uh, you've, uh, through, whether it's through marriage, through blood family, through adoption. Right? You, this is your family. This is your, this is your home. These are your people. This is your mom, dad, brother, sisters, grandma, grandpa, right? The whole thing, aunt, uncle, right? Cousins, uh, second cousins, twice removed, the whole thing, right? Now, when we get into church, this is as well a family. And this is even, I found, and, and perhaps you have as well in your own life, that some of the closest people that you have in your life are not blood relatives, but rather those of a household of faith. Because there is a deeper bond, a deeper calling, a, a deeper fellowship. Because we have been saved, we have been able to serve together, we know one another, and we have something in common. And it's not necessarily just a something. It's not just that we go to church, but rather it is Christ that binds us together. His Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one, uh, all, all these things uh, that, that Paul writes in Ephesians that bind us together, that unite us together. The local church belongs to each other. The idea of Ecclesia is of one another. It is to be a part of something that is beyond just yourself. So it is not just that you are an own individual, right? Think about this with marriage, right? Two become one. It's no longer um, this person's life and that person's life, but is now two become one. Now with the church, what are we often called to? Even in the scripture, the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. Now we don't have one arm over here doing its own thing and it's detached and and we've got a, a leg and a foot over here. and It is all together. The body of Christ should be united. And it can only be united when we have certain things going. And I believe that certain things that unite us together as brethren beloved are found in verse 3, the work of faith, the labor of love, and the patience of hope. In our Lord Jesus Christ, if Christ is not central, if Christ is not the focus, if Christ is not preeminent, the church will never have unity. But how can Christ be central? How can this happened because it has to happen first of all in every individual's life we often talk of church unity we talk of church revival we talk of church work but it begins individually before it goes corporately so we have to understand that we are a part as we join a church in membership that we are a part of something greater uh, church membership is biblical it draws us together in the brotherhood the the local church belongs then not just to one another but to the global church, and ultimately the church, every believer, right? The universal church, every believer from Honduras to Hillsville, they are a part of Christ. We are to abide in Christ. We, are, we belong to Him. He is ours. We are His. And now we belong as well to one another, and we belong to the Lord. Ultimately, to be a part of the brotherhood of the church is to belong to something greater and someone greater than the individual. That is, we belong to Christ and to each other. For some reason, we have lost the beauty and the simplicity and yet the depth as well of church membership. Many of us equate church membership with 
making sure that we get our name on a roll or in a directory and we attend some, right? And then there's many who, as soon as they become members, right, they walk an aisle, you know, get saved or something, they, they get baptized, they become a member of the church, and then you never see them again, right? If these things should not be so. Um, there were times, and you've got difference of opinions on about church membership. I believe church membership is incredibly important. If we don't have church membership, then there is no ability to have accountability, right? There's no ability to have church discipline, church order, church leadership, church function, because if everyone is just an attendee like it's Walmart, then it doesn't matter, right? Church is not Walmart. Church is not Dollar General. Church is the body of Christ, and it must operate and function as He is called, as He is intended. And so the only way that we can do that is as we truly become members. But you must be saved to be a member. We must be seeking and being sanctified by God as a part of our membership. And that it is understanding that we are accountable first and foremost always to the Lord, right, vertically. But then as well, we're now accountable horizontally to one another. I don't think it's a bad thing when I get back and someone goes, you know, hey, uh, you might want to check on so-and-so that they've been missing for a couple weeks. Oh, good. I want to know that, right? We should want to check on each other. Not out of notions going, well, I can't believe they haven't been here. Why have they been here? Where have they been going? How come they aren't here? How come they didn't tell nobody? Right? There's a difference between being nosy and being a brother in Christ. There's a difference between being critical and someone who is going, I'm concerned for my brother, for my sister and the Lord. We should have that as a part of family, right? As a part of the Lord's body. A beloved here is something special. We often look over it when we read it in the Scripture. We find it so much, but when we see brethren beloved, it is literally the idea of those who are loved of God. We sometimes miss the beauty of simply knowing that God loves us and that we are loved of God. It is the love of God that, that brings us together. If it was not for the Lord's love, we would not love the Lord, nor could we love one another. We see this, that it is He who loved us first. Love binds us. It is the love of Christ demonstrated upon the cross that saves us. It is uh, His love for us that saves us, that sanctifies us, that will one day glorifies us. It is His love that uh, continues to be poured out upon us even when the times that we're not so lovable. That's the kind of love that He has. He loves those who often are even His enemy against Him or, or are always stiff-necked, hard-headed, prideful, boastful, all these things. To be loved of God. May our hearts meditate on that thought when we read through this. One commentator writes, Paul had come a long way from being a proud Pharisee to the place where he could consider Gentiles his equals before God. He reminded his readers that they were beloved of, by God. Even Paul's uh, incidental statements throb with the warm realization of God's presence and love. Right? This is being written by a man who used to not be able to stand anyone that was not exactly just like him and now he's got a warm love for these people. Why? Because of their love for Christ. Because they belong to the body of Jesus. So what does this mean? This means as well that we can love someone, and I've got plenty of friends that I love who don't do church exactly like me or don't pastor exactly just like me, but yet I can have a love for them because they love the Lord and they're used of the Lord. Now, this is the beauty of the church. This is the beauty of God's love. That, that, that God's love is displayed in the local church. Then we also find in this, as Morris writes, in these two epistles, Paul uses the address brothers 21 times and brother another seven times. The tie that bound the, Pharise the proud Pharisee to despise Gentiles was a close one. Barriers insurmountable to men were done away in Christ. And the Greek loved is a perfect participle. 
combining the thoughts that love existed in the past and that it continues in the present in full force. The construction occurs only here in the New Testament, though 2 Thessalonians 2.13 and Jude 1 are similar and is rich in meaning, or excuse me, and is richer in meaning than the usual expression found, for example, in Romans 1.7. In view of many loose modern ideas about the brotherhood of man, it is worth noticing that the New Testament concept of brotherhood is that of a brotherhood of believers. Here it is linked with being loved by God and with election. Both are significant. We'll get into that in verse 4. I believe that's why he puts it here. Knowing brethren, be, knowing brethren beloved, your election of God. We are absolutely loved by the Lord. Therefore, we must absolutely love the Lord, not out of obligation, but out of loving obedience in response to what He's done for us, in response to who He is. And then furthermore, as we talked about, remember we just spent nearly a whole year going through 1 John. What does he talk about over and over and over again? To love the brotherhood, to love our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. How can a man say he loves the Lord and hate his brother? It, it cannot be so. And yet, how many of us at times have seen this in church, or perhaps we've even been a part of this in our church? It must never, ever be so. Now, as we get into this, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God, I want to go ahead and begin by saying, We've got some issues here. When we look at this idea of election of God, we've got several things that happen. The immediate thing that starts happening with some folks when they read this word is hairs go up, radar goes up, and we've got either this group over here that, meet, that say God's election is that He makes all the choices and men are just robots. And then we've got this side over here that say, well, election's not even a real thing. Everything's made up. Uh, you know, all, all this stuff, right? And somewhere in the middle, we find the Bible. Right? Now, here, here's what we want to look at today. The idea of this is that Paul is saying that this is something that can be known and assured of. There are those today who preach um, a sort of Calvinistically way, uh, way or they emphasize election. And what I've seen happen with personal friends of mine who are very much in this sort of idea and camp of God has just robots and he's playing puppets with us is their idea of it. They have an idea of fatalism is really what it is. Now, that's not biblical, and that's not right. Now, in this, I've seen that they've had their own children who have never trusted the Lord. When you talk to their children, why are you saved? Are you saved, right? And they're teenagers. And they go, well, you know, I'm elect because, you know, my parents are, or my dad is. It doesn't work that way, right? If, if grandma was saved, right, does not mean you get to inherit grandma's salvation. If mom and dad were saved, does not mean you get to inherit their salvation. And this is the, the common thing that we find on many sides and many gutters and many places that we've got those who are going, well, you know, I, me and Jesus got an own, own thing going on. Or, or grandma was saved. I, I've got family. It got brought up this morning just in conversation. I've got family. Because grandma was saved and grandma served the Lord, grandma was faithful. They didn't go to, you know, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. They didn't go to church, still don't. Don't really, you know, we just got our own thing going with the Lord. It does not work that way. You cannot ride someone else's coattails to get to heaven. And we also have to understand the idea of this, this idea of election in the first place. is not some fatalist mentality and is not some made-up thing, but rather it's something that the Apostle Paul himself is assured of. Why is he assured of it? One, Paul knows that he is elect. Because he knows the Lord. He knows that the church in Thessalonica is elect. Why? Because they know the Lord. 
There's often been said many different illustrations about ways to know about this idea of election or the elect. When we find the Bible here, and this is what I want to give to you before we really get into the notes here. The idea of elect and election, we find, that we find elect and election throughout the Bible. When we find the word elect in the Old Testament, every time it's referenced as the elect, it is immediately and contextually and even in the verse and sometimes even right next to the very word dealing with the nation, the people of Israel. They were God's chosen people. Then what do we find in the New Testament with the elect? It is considering not just an, an individual or even just a local church, but rather it is dealing with all those who are in the body of Christ. That the body of Israel was elect by God, chosen by God, and the church as well. Notice that. In the Old Testament, who do we find? We find Israel, God's chosen people. Who do we find in the New Testament? We find the church. Both are very distinct, by the way. We have that issue today. We have some uh, who, who would like to say that the church has replaced Israel. I do not believe so whatsoever. I believe that one day uh, God will uh, continue uh, and fulfill His work and His covenant through uh, uh, in the end times. We see that. right. Uh, end times is not based upon us. It's looking towards Israel and what God is going to be doing there. All right, We're thankful for that. right? This is why we support Israel. This is why we pray for Israel. This is why we send missionaries to Israel. We, we desire for them to be saved, as the Apostle Paul did. But yet in this, what we find is that when we see elect in the Scripture, it is dealing with an entire group of people. What kind of people? A people of faith in the God of the covenant. A people in the faith of the God of the old covenant. Who were looking forward to one day a new covenant, a Messiah coming. Then for us in the church age, we are the ones who are elect, meaning this. We are the ones who are in Christ. We have trusted in the God of covenant, the new covenant, that Christ's sacrifice is full, final, complete, sufficient, and that we are now a part of his body, a part of his bride, and that one day we shall see him face to face. Then we find a second word, and it's the word election. Election then we find throughout the New Testament and every time nearly that we find this word, it is dealing with the election of God's grace and love. We think about this. Do you think that you would have been saved if God did not give grace and love to you? No. Do you think you would stay saved if God did not continue to give grace and love to you? No. I would have lost it the moment I got it. Do you think that one day we'll be glorified without God's grace and love? No. All of life, all of salvation from start to finish, all of eternity and time is by God's grace and love to Make him a people to draw him out a people from the world. And this is why we find Israel separated from the world. The church separated from the world. Not just separate from the world, but then separated unto God to be used of God to declare his glory, to um, declare his presence, his power, to declare his person, to proclaim the gospel of Christ. Now, as we look here. Paul mentions the root cause of the Thessalonians' election as he calls them those who are loved by God. Think about that. The root cause of your salvation is not the fact that you walked an aisle one day. The root cause of your salvation is that God loved you. If God had not loved you first, you would never be in the position to love Him. Right? We were enemies of the cross, enemies of God. Romans 3 is very clear about this. Right? There was... Uh, all are guilty, there was none that seek, everyone is wicked, gone their own way, all these things, right? I'll go back here for just a moment, right? Paul had, has written to the Romans and he talks about this. 
He says, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Not even one is the idea. Their throats an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have used deceit. The poison of asps under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And he goes on to say in verse 19, And all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is knowledge of sin. But then we get into this great truth in chapter 3, that God has sent Christ, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And this is important here. The love of God. The frequently biblical authors affirm that God chose His people Israel and now the church because of His own love for them. You can see it all throughout. I've got the references for you there in the booklet if you want to go back and and see each one. In other words, God's election is not based on human merits or virtues, 2 Timothy 1.9, but instead His decision and initiative are solely in His love. In the Greek, the word election or recruitment of political... um, uh, of, of, excuse me, in the Greek world, the election or recruitment of political and military leaders had to do with the merits and the character of the persons chosen, right? Let me pause here for a moment. The idea that the Greeks had is the same idea that you had on, in fourth grade playing kickball, right? If you got to be captain and on the recess lot and playing kickball, you were something. That means you got to pick out of the players. You know who you picked first? The ones who were good at kickball. Right? The ones who could kick, run, catch. Right? Same with baseball, basketball, whatever it might be. Why did you choose the one? When I got to be captain, maybe like twice, maybe. Um, that was just out of pity. <laughs> you know who I picked? My fast friends, my friends that could catch, my friends that played sports and were athletic. Why did I pick them? Because they were athletic. Their merits. And you know who got picked last? The ones whose merits of athleticism weren't much there. Right? Now here, the Lord, and we'll see in this in just a moment, God calls Abraham. God calls, it gives grace. How about even back before Abraham? We even see that there's this idea with Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In the midst of a wicked and perverse generation, in the midst of a wicked and perverse world, there is this always the Lord's love. Long before we loved Him, He loved us. In this, he talks about this and he says, but in God's community, nothing less than the love of God is the cause of election, regardless of the positive uh, or negative character or achievement of a person. Romans 5, 7 through 8. Right? We see that in Romans 5, 7 through 8, dealing with, um, you know, some would, would scarcely die for a, a, a wicked man, let alone a, a good man. And yet, and while, we were, and while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, that means while we were in the midst of all of our sinfulness and our sinful condition, our sinful nature, Christ died for us. This much is assumed and not debated and is often the case today. The purpose of the declaration is to provide assurance and comfort and not to fuel theological controversy, however important such discussions might be. When we get to words like elect, election, predestined, all these things that we find that Paul writes about, we have the immediate reaction to fight instead of just look to the Scripture. And so just look to what God has said and declared. The purpose of Paul writing here, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, he's doing what we read about in, in, as we studied 1 John. What was 1 John being written for? John was writing to assure the believers, 
to bring comfort to the believers. You say, well, it was all about the test to see if they were really saying, well, you could make the argument, but ultimately all that was to give an assurance that you can know that you belong to God. This is why there is no question of whether or not those who are in Christ are elect or not. There are those on one side of this would say, well, you know, Christ only died for the elect, and then the elect, um, uh, the elect are only those who are, are chosen, and no matter what they do, whether even they hear the gospel or not, they're elect. It does not work that way. Now, we're going to see this. Look, look here. Look with me. God does love and choose in order for us to choose and love Him by grace through faith because all salvation has ever been by God's grace and love. God displays and dispenses His love for us through the Lord Jesus Christ, through His death, burial, and His resurrection. He declares His love for us even while we were yet sinners, that Christ would die for us, and now gives grace to us, offers us salvation so that we might receive it the same way it's ever been received, and that is by grace through faith. It is not of works. Why? Because if it was of works, we would boast. Men have boasted of their salvation. Men have boasted of their religion. Men have boasted of their good works since the very first of, of sinful men. This is why all of salvation we see, this is to direct us to give God glory for all things. Now, we see this. Wanamaker writes, the idea of election of salvation, like the idea of being part of a family, had its roots in the Old Testament and in Judaism. Uh, you can see here scripture references, Deuteronomy 7, uh, Romans 9, uh, a few different places there uh, mentioned in your book that although the word uh, eklage, which is the word election, does not occur in the LLX and is used by Paul of Christians only in this passage. However, compare his use of adjectives ekletos in Romans 8, Second uh, Thessalonians and Colossians 3. The doctrine of community election had an important social function for Paul and his servants. Paul's use of eklega uh, here serves as a similar function to the family language for which terms brothers and sisters are a part. It is what meek uh, calls the language of belonging. So what does this mean? There are those who use elect or election to say that it's only specifically dealing with individuals and that God either damns people to hell or he sends them to heaven Regardless of anything, there's, there's no response, there's no give, there's no take, there's no, golf, uh, no need for even a, a gospel offer. That's not the case. Here, this idea is this sort of, I believe biblically that we find that the doctrine of community election, what do we find? Old Testament, who do we find? Israel, and who? Who had the covenant with God? Abraham. Notice though, even when Abraham has that covenant made with him, who walks the covenant walk with Abraham? God does. Who does it for Abraham? God does. God does this because he loves Abraham, and through time, God will fulfill his purposes and his plan for Abraham through Abraham. And Abraham will have many faults, but it will be by faith that it is counted unto Abraham for righteousness, that Abraham will be saved by God's good grace through faith, trusting in the Lord, trusting in His promise, trusting in His provision. We've talked about this. The promised provision of God is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then what do we find? In the New Testament. We don't find it in Paul. We don't find it in Peter. We don't find it in John. We don't find it in a pope. We don't find it in a pastor. We find in Jesus Christ that we are a part of Him, elect in Him. Here, Sorensen writes, the greater truth is that God is in Christ, God in Christ 
chose them unto himself. That is a privilege indeed and calls for considerable encouragement. With election here as elsewhere, the focus is more on the corporate than the personal. Even as God chose Israel and Abraham, he chose the church in Christ. Whosoever will may come. We can have our discussions, we can have our arguments, we can have our debates, we can have all these things that are mostly unfruitful, to be quite honest with you, and I've been a part of many of them. What we see is this, though. I love what, uh, I want to give you two, two quotes, not in your, in, in your booklet there. <clears throat> Tozer writes, and, and if you want to find someone who was humble in his writing, in his ministry, A.W. Tozer, he says, so the only, he says, so only the elect will come, but anyone who will can come. Right? I love the way he puts it there. Love the way D.L. Moody put it. He says, uh, D.L. Moody uh, once said, the elect are the whosoever wills and the non-elect are the whosoever wants. Right? This is the importance. The gospel must be declared, heard, received, accepted. There must be a gospel call to an individual in order to be saved. This is important. Because when we understand that without the gospel, without repentance and faith in that gospel, in the message of the cross, there is no salvation. This is all the more important. Instead of us trying to debate and win arguments with one another who are brethren, uh, who are brethren beloved by God, we must understand that there is still yet a lost and dying world who has not heard the gospel. There are still those that will and must be saved, that must hear the call to come to Christ. As a matter of fact, some of the great truths that we find in many of the great revivals, even of those who uh, were, were different than we are. You look at someone like a George Whitfield. one of the great things that he often said, and while he was much more on this side of the Calvinistic flavor, his message repeatedly, over and over and over, you read his writings, come to Christ, come to Christ, come to Christ. Why? Because the only way of salvation is to come to Christ. And Jesus said, no man will come unless he's drawn. And as the Lord draws, how does he draw? Through the gospel net. And he draws his fish in. And so for you and I, this takes some pressure off in understanding this. God calls you and I to proclaim the truth of the gospel, to proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection, to offer eternal life, to offer all those who would hear our voice, come to Christ, come to Christ. And the fruit and the result is up to the Lord. It is the Lord who gives the increase. It is the Lord who does these blessed things of salvation. But notice this. The great truth of this election is in Christ. In Christ. Abraham is chosen and called by God to establish Israel as His people by grace through faith. Christ, who is the head of the church, which is chosen and called by God uh, to establish the church, the, the bride, the body of Christ. And how do we receive this? By grace through faith. If you want to know your elect today, if you want to know any of that stuff, let me ask you this. And I've, and I've had people go, well, how do I know if I'm a part of elect as he's talking about here? Or I, how can I know my election of God? It is very simple. Has there been a time where you have trusted Jesus? And even more so than this, many focus on you need the, a date, time, place, hour, how high the sun was in the sky, the moment you got saved. Here's what you need. Are you trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone right now? Are you trusting in Christ right now? Does your life reflect that, um, that proclamation that you are trusting in Jesus? Is your life surrendered to Christ? This verse in verse 4 
serves as a reminder that salvation is planned. The only the, the, the way of salvation planned by the Lord. Who would have thought to plan it this way? You and I would have planned salvation by good works and only those who were good at kickball would get to go to heaven, right? Only those who had the merits to get there. But there are no merits of which we can get there. The Lord planned. As we see in Peter's first message as he preached on the day of Pentecost, by the predeterminate plan of God to have Christ die for our sins, to be raised again, to offer eternal life. Who would have thought such a way? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the way of the cross in verse 18, all the way down. God uses uh, the abased things, the, uh, all of these despised things of the world to offer salvation. This serves as a reminder that salvation is planned and provided by God alone and received and must be received by faith alone. And if it's not received by faith alone, then there is no salvation. Salvation can only be received by grace through faith. So there is an assurance here. Verse 4 establishes that God is a part of the... He is the, the ultimate, the cause of our salvation because He loved us. He has chosen us in Christ Jesus. But yet, in this we must find that there is this. The assurance of having and knowing your election of God as He talks and offers here in verse 4 is this. I have received God's grace. The moment I heard the gospel, the moment it sunk down in my heart, the moment I realized I was a sinner, the moment I realized that Christ is the only way of salvation, the moment I realized that I must trust Jesus, that is God's grace being poured out. The moment I bow my knee in humble submission and uh, ask the Lord to save me, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, right? I call unto Him by faith. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the Bible truth. We receive by grace through faith in Christ, because without these three things, there is no salvation. By grace through faith in Christ. Paul writes this not to cause debate, not to cause accusations and confusion, but rather to give assurance to the believer that if you are in Christ, you are in Christ. That if you are saved, you are saved. And that you can know so. Many people equate 1 John with the only book in the Bible as if it's the only book that offers assurance of salvation. But wherever we find the gospel proclaimed and received, we also find with it an assurance of that salvation. Because if I can trust in Christ to save me, I can trust in Christ for everything. And I must trust in Christ for everything and in everything. So today, as we look at verse 4 and we bring this to a close, I want us to rest assured. And I want you to know, to know that you know, that you too might say, like Paul, I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm a part. Not because of who I am. Not because of what I've done. But because of who God is and what He has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be full of assurance in God alone. Praise the Lord for His salvation He's given to us. Let us pray. God, we thank You for this time. Grateful that we can study Your Word. And Lord, while we deal with a verse like that and we see how so many folks get into so many debates, so many issues, Lord, what we find is that You loved us so that we can love You. Lord, You have uh, sent Your Son Jesus to, to die for us so that we might live. Uh, Lord, there's so much stuff that you that we could just go on and on and on and just to thank You and to praise You for. Help us, Lord, to have the truth and have assurance uh, not just in our minds, but Lord, to, to put our minds at rest, but to put our hearts at rest. Lord, as we had studied in First John, Lord, how, how often our hearts condemn us. But Lord, you are greater than our heart. May we trust in you and we be full of faith. Pray that now you prepare our hearts, O oh God, um, to, to see you uh, work and to move amongst us in, in your service, Lord, that you would 
Um, give us your word, that you would give us your spirit, that you would fill us, strengthen us, be with Brother Andrew as he preaches. I've got to pray that you with every song, Lord, that all things today, every word spoken, every word sung, Lord, we bring you honor and glory. We thank you for this time, and go with us now in Jesus' name. Amen.